HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit culinarycenter.com. I'm Chris Kuzmi. And I'm Mary Izette. From Fomet About It. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Well, hello. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, March 2nd. This is the 98th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a top tea curator. I will introduce him in a moment. First, as we do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Later, we will have my speedrun game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to never settle. Always push to excel and reach new goals. Don't be satisfied with average or the status quo. Strive to be your best self and achieve greatness. We can always do better. So I say settle, schmettel. That's my tip today. Now, I'm very happy to have my guest here. It is Jeff Ruiz. He is the head captain and tea curator at Atera, a two-Michelin star restaurant in Tribeca in New York City. Jeff was a core member of the opening team at Atera with Chef Matthew Leitner, earning those two stars within the first six months of operation. His tea service includes teas representative of the classic tea regions that are prepared accordingly to their origin. I was going to say region, but origin. So, welcome, Jeff. Oh, thank you so much for having me today. I'm excited to have you and and learn about you and tea. <laughs> I'm excited to talk about it. Love tea. So, how did you get into the industry? Ah, uh, that's a uh, it's a long story. Um, I started in high school washing dishes, and you know, after high school, I really wanted to. Um, you know, I had higher ambitions than uh, washing dishes. Really? And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where did you um, grow up? I grew up in upstate New York and okay. uh, Buffalo, or out, right outside Buffalo. Got it. Yeah. And so, that, you know, that's, that was my first exposure to uh, restaurants. It's important, the dishwashing. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Um, and, you know, to this day, you know, I, I love talking to, to the guys that, you know, probably relate to them more than the... Um, you know, I, I would otherwise, because I've you know I've been in their shoes, right. and um, it's a good experience. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, out of high school, I really wanted to move to New York and study in New York, uh, and go to college in New York. So I moved to New York, uh, started studying international relations and uh, political science, um, and but there, there was a part of me that also you know really loved restaurants and dining, um, but I'd never been exposed to like the dining scene in New York City. And just even walking past different restaurants in New York City, um, seeing these dining rooms, I was kind of taken back by 
uh, level that there was in the city. Um, and so during my summer of, uh, between my freshman and sophomore year, I had, uh, there was one restaurant in particular that I thought was stunning and I wanted to be a part of, and I wanted to, um, learn the trade within this environment. And that was Cafe des Artis. And ah, yeah, nice. Um, that was before they had done the, the renovation. Um, that's on, on sixth Avenue. Is that where we're talking about? I believe it's 64th or 65th between central park West. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was mixing. Yes, that is where it is. <laughs> um, you know, classic, classic, uh, New York city restaurant. And, um, the dining room was absolutely stunning. And, you know, I walked in cold, asked the GM if I could work there for free to learn the trade, uh, you know, how to, uh, be on the floor and, uh, he said, no, you know, do you have any New York city experience? I'm like, no, he said, no. And, uh, you know, he said no three times I'd gone back repeatedly. And then he finally said, um, okay, come on board. And so that, that started, a, a journey over the last 10 years of, you know, working in different parts of the hospitality industry within New York city. Um, after Cafe des Artis, I had worked with, uh, you know, in the Keith McNally group, um, and then went on to work at a restaurant, Danielle. And fast forward to uh, 2012, I had an offer to start working at Aterra. So what were your your roles there? Were you on the in front of the house? Were you um, a server? Were you at Cafe des Artis? At, at when? Well, from Ca- Cafe des Artis to moving to through the lineup and then being at Danielle. And, um, and I remember the ambiance at Cafe, Cafe des Artis, and it's charming and beautiful and yeah. uh special so i could see what you why you were drawn to that oh yeah absolutely um you know start from the bottom busser um <laughs> just uh you know busser doing doing your thing right okay yeah so um so fast forward how did you when did you start getting into tea uh getting into tea so or, you know, or going, did, you know, did we the, miss a step between, like, were you, when you were, let's say, at Danielle, were you intrigued by tea at all? Or were you more just, uh, you know, head down doing your job and into service or Oh, into there, the I, was, I was pretty shocked. At, yeah. Uh, it was a, being there was a shocking experience in terms of um, being thrown into the upper echelon of service. Right. And it's there where I learned all the rules and um, the classic rules. And, you know, you got exposure to different areas of uh, a beverage and other aspects of uh, food that I hadn't been exposed to before. Um, but tea hadn't caught on to me yet. Um, it wasn't until I started at Terra that I was really started to be drawn to tea. And how did you get involved with the opening team at Terra? Uh, there was a gentleman who I worked with at uh, Danielle who had uh, reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to be part of this opening team. And, you know, I came in for a trail um, and basically ended up getting hired that day and just started working from that day on forward. Um, yeah, it was pretty much, it was very quick. It was, you know, came in, joined the team, boom. And it was like lightning pace from that point forward. You know, everyone came in. All everyone in the industry came in. It was a, a really energizing and uh, environment to be in. Well, I've <clears throat> everyone came in. I came in. You did, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You did. But no, I I I did go in, and um, I mean, for people that don't know, maybe we should talk about Atera, like the type of restaurant it is, because it's a very original space it's an open kitchen it's extremely intimate and mm-hmm. and special i mean mm-hmm. those are the words i would use but how would you describe it uh, i would describe it as a restaurant aiming to do everything it does at the highest level in the united states it can um it's aiming for the very very top um from every product it brings in to um things that would normally be overlooked like tea so 
that's a good segue into how you got into tea. So it was at Atera that you became more interested or you were put in charge of the tea program? How did it Uh, So what happened is I was actually dating my high school sweetheart at the time who is from Sri Lanka. Ah. A very, um, you know, that country produces a tremendous amount of uh, tea that's put out. And, um, you know, I'd never been with somebody or seen somebody who drank as much tea as her. (laughs) So, you know, there was a part of me that wanted to understand that and her, like, heritage, where she came from. And uh, also, you know, as someone in the the hospitality industry, there's... We're naturally inquisitive, especially about things that involve uh, the natural environment. Um, You know, for instance, you know, why does a wine from a particular uh, vineyard have a characteristic that one from an adjacent vineyard doesn't have? So, you know, just little questions like that. And, you know... I had never really asked myself what tea was exactly. And, uh, you know, I saw her drinking tea and I was like, I was familiar with, you know, what, these, these are household terms, green, black, maybe oolong. Um, but it didn't take a really intensive search to, you know, find out that, you know, tea is, at the very base, tea is from the Camellia sinensis plant. It's from one plant. And there's a key distinction to be made between that and... Um, essentially tassans that are made from other plants steeped in hot water. So there was that kind of like brewing or steeping, if you will, Ah, uh, in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I came to Atera, I saw the programs that they had, um, incredible ambitions, ambitions. you know, the the sommelier at the time, the the, the beverage director was like, you know, we're going to have the best half bottle list in the country. Um, You know, the cheese program, was very ambitious. You know, the products that were brought into house were um, the best you can possibly get. And but you know, at the same time, I saw that tea maybe had been put on the wayside. And I, that was understandable. You know, there was a lot of work. There's a ton of work, tremendous amount of work that goes into opening a restaurant. And there were only maybe five of us involved in the opening: the GM, the sommelier. Uh, slash beverage director, the captain, the mater d, and myself. You know, so there's, there was a good amount of work to go around. And, uh, yeah, there's part of me that said, you know, if you're going to do every program at the highest level, then tea is, tea is something that I think deserves a uh, closer look. And so, you know, I was, I was about to approach the general manager at the time and ask him if I could look into this and pursue it as... Uh, its own distinct program and he ended up coming to me and saying you know do you want to do you know we want to get a you want to do better tea and he had come from 11 madison park a place that has an incredible tea program so it was only natural that there was this idea in the back of his head that atara should also have a tea program that was world class makes sense so how did you go about doing this so once i i uh, got the reins to do it um I reached out to Sebastian and Anna at Impursuta Tea and actually showed up to their, they had a shop on Crosby Street. I just showed up one day and said, you know, I, I want to do a tea program, but I don't know where to start. Can you give me advice? And uh, it was that day that Anna prepared a, a new lawn for me called Oriental Beauty that completely like warped my mind on what tea could be it was multi-dimensional it had a lingering finish that went on and on and on and the uh i had never experienced tea that way before and not only was the experience on the palate uh unlike anything i had experienced it was the uh the preparation as well it was participatory and it was intimate. And How I, participatory? When you're so when you're preheating the the teaware, you dump out the water, you put the tea leaf in, and you've you've looked at the tea leaf before that's done, and you've you know you've brought it up and you smelled it, and you know there's something there. But once you put the tea leaf into the teaware after it's been preheated close it and then reopen it and 
bring that to um, examine its aroma, it just it's like an open book. It just opens up, and it's um, there's that. You know, that's like step one. Um, and I, you know, I thought to myself, wow, a terror is a place that could really introduce this as an aspect of the dining experience. And that was a launching point. Yeah, no, that that's uh, that's a great story. No, and just I can I I feel your passion for it. I'm getting excited about tea. <laughs> Not awesome. like I wasn't, but I'm getting yeah. more excited about it. Um, so let's take a little break here, and then come back, and we'll talk more about uh, how how Atera's tea program uh, came to be. Awesome. More. Okay, stay with us. This is all in the industry and Heritage Radio Network. National Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at internationalculinarycenter.com. In the whole world. Okay, hi, we're back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Jeff Ruiz, the tea curator at Atera. And yes, we're talking about tea. We're talking about how I feel I know nothing about tea anymore, <laughs> even though I drink it. You know, and maybe it's it's also you know the tea has I think become so far, and I think in growing up, or maybe it's. Uh, old school American culture it was Lipton it was just mm-hmm. that was what tea was it was one bag that you could get and then they came out with a decaf and you know <laughs> yeah but um it's a much more complicated uh beverage right <laughs> it, it is it's uh it's kind of like a rabbit hole you know when you're exposed to something that you know you grew up with and it's sort of like an afterthought you know you enjoy it um but anything you do in life, you know, once you dig a little deeper, you find that there's a thousand questions that, you know, you need to answer. And that, um, for me, that was tea. And, uh, you know, most of the things that you get in you know, Lipton tea bags are essentially the bottom of the barrel. It's like the dust at the, that's left over from, from the good stuff. Right. All right. And, uh, you know, it's passable. It's good enough. And, you know, you put some milk in it, you put some sugar in it, and it's, exactly. I won't lie, it tastes good. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the tea I grew up with, and I enjoy it. Um, but there's more to it. There is more to it. And so, Aditera with the Matthew Leitner was the original chef. Mm-hmm. And so, how did you work with Matthew on creating a tea pairing menu or even bringing teas in that would just complement the food? But, or, I mean, was it, I don't know, when did the tea pairing program start? Uh, the tea pairing, I say it started uh, with a hunch in 2013. And when did Otera open? Uh, 2012. Okay. So the next year, um, we had a really amazing beverage director, Scott Cameron, who was intent on, on having a pairing that was based on uh, beverages that would pair best with with uh, the food rather than strictly wine. So, you know, we referred to it as a beverage pairing as opposed to a wine pairing. Um, so he was kind of uh, unconventional in that sense. You know, he would, and he, he had a really open, um, how do you say, you know, he could use anything. Right. And, you know, one day he came to me, he's like, you know, I think I want to do a tea with this dish. And it was a foie gras with matsutake mushroom, pickled blueberry, and pine nuts. And, you know, we started brainstorming on, like, what we could do. And he he came pretty much to a, a conclusion that, you know, maybe we should do 
Rubus, which is not from the, the classic tea plant, or we should do uh, Phoenix Honey Orchid, which is an oolong from Guangdong Province. And I, you know, I urged him. I was like, you need to go with the Phoenix Honey Orchid. You have to go with the Phoenix Honey Orchid. Um, it's going to have more backbone. It's um, it has more of a story to tell in relation to. Um, n- not okay. to say anything yeah. about Rubus, but you know, yeah. it's got. You had your reasons. Yeah, and uh, he ended up going with it, and it was amazing. So, uh, it was a few, maybe a couple months later, uh, Eric Asimov, the New York Times wine writer, came in, and was doing a story on pairings with tasting menus, and he ended up, you know, mentioning the tea that he had that night, um, with Scott's beverage pairing, and now he wrote he wrote very favorably of it and that was like a green light yeah i was like oh my god this is uh you know this is something that has legs it you know this is kind of a uh a blessing that you know go with this right uh there's more to it than you know maybe just having one dish paired with tea so moving forward to 2014 we started doing uh tea pairings with uh the tasting menu well, I came in last year with now Ronnie Emberg, the chef. Mm-hmm. So I didn't experience the tea pairing with Matthew Lettner. And I don't, it's a question I have with working with two different chefs and different menus. Did you, um, was there a big change in what happened and how, how was it working between the two of them? But just my experience was I was blown away by the tea pairing and I'd never done a tasting menu tea pairing before and I don't drink alcohol so I usually don't get a pairing opportunity yeah. and it it was it was I was just fascinated because the flavors of the dishes um they changed sometimes and they were it really worked and it was compliment they complemented each other and I thought yeah, I was I was just fascinated, and I was like, you had to come on my show at some point and talk about this. <laughs> and uh, so, so I just threw a lot out there. But working with the two different chefs, and how do you? I mean, how do you? How do you do it? How do you? Because they're also creating this. I think now it's eighteen course menu that he's doing, or is it, is it not that much? Uh, it's about eighteen. Yeah. Okay, so that's a lot of courses. Like. So there's yeah. there's a few things you need to balance. First, the thing that both of them gave me was complete autonomy to do, be as ambitious as he wanted to, and just go for it. And that's that, great. Yeah, having that from a chef is it's it's yeah. really special. Yeah. Um, so that that was the first step. The second step was. Uh, you know, tasting through the menu, getting brain—you know—brainstorming what you think the tea is going to go, what, which teas might go well with which dishes, and then having them, you know, right. m- you know, maybe make it for you again, and you know that that whole uh, um, going through that whole process of you know just tasting over and over again and being like, okay, this works, this doesn't work, this works, this doesn't work. So they were both very open to that process. Um, well, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and how many teas are you doing? It was like, I don't know, seven or eight? Uh, at that time, it was six or so. Okay. So that, one of the things you got to balance with doing a tea pairing with a tasting menu is, one, how intense do you want, or how focused do you want to be on the service? Because um, if I do it for one person, say I do a tasting menu for just a single individual. I could pair teas with all 18 items. But you also you also have to balance that and you know your show is about all in the industry kind of giving a back you know a backdoor scene into uh, mm-hmm. how things work. You have to balance that ideal with the service of the whole restaurant. Cuz if you do that when you have 18 guests you know you're entirely off the floor. The you know the service is going to sink. Right. So you try you figure out how to um, bridge pairings. So the way we did it with the tea program is, you know, with Ronnie and with uh, Chef uh, Leitner, mm-hmm. there's you know a snack portion. So that's an opportunity to bridge courses. 
and different items on the menu kind of uh, sing or you know resonate with different dishes much more than others. So you know you bring that to the guest's attention. Like this is where it's really going to hit, and it works. It works, and there's presentation involved. There's hot teas. There's cold teas. Mm-hmm. Um, I highly recommend anyone to do it. Do how many people do do the tea pairing compared to? The wine pairing. <laughs> uh, so we do two things a night, 6 p.m. and 9.30. And on a given night, you know, you'll get uh, one person each seating getting the tea pairing oh. or two people okay. each seating getting the tea pairing. Sometimes you get hit hard and you get four people in one seating or five people. Whole restaurant after this show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, that's like, you know. Going through, I mean, going through a service when you have like five tea pairings or six tea pairings at the same time, you know, you're it's working hard. really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, at the end of that service, I'm like, man, this is a dream come true. Right. Yeah, it's pretty cool. What about um, sourcing your teas? Where Where are they coming from? Uh, the teas we source, and this is part of one of the, the, the ethos that I went into the petite program with, um, is sourcing from multiple uh, people that import and sell. And now, you know, in pursuit of tea, we do kettle, uh, we do uh, tea urchin, uh, they're based in China, and tea company. And the reasoning behind that was early on, I saw when I was first looking into, you know, how to even do a tea program, I noticed that most every restaurant in the U.S. that did a tea program, they used one importer. Yeah, and it seems what that's I, good, you know. Yeah, but you don't do that with your produce. You don't do that with your wine program. You don't do that with your liquor program. Why yeah. would you do that with your tea program? Good point. Um, you know, it's important to taste the palate of other people importing, multiple people importing, and so that was one of the things that I I really want to expand upon. And um, I was a story and eater. I think in 2014 and I, I read it it's a great article uh, after on that the tea. yeah yeah, uh-huh. yeah after that now other restaurants um started working with multiple um tea importers it's because they're like it makes sense it does make sense yeah and we were talking before the show how i went into tay company and mm-hmm. i met uh elena, elena and frederick yeah. and told them about this show and they were lovely and they made me oolong tea and were teaching me about that because mm-hmm. um yeah no there's a lot of i think do, are you seeing i mean you're seeing it in the restaurants but i think in general seeing uh more people get into tea and there seems to be a trend too with the matcha a lot of matcha oh yeah that, that's uh it's funny i was with sebastian this morning and we were at the atera doing um not tasting for the the cooks in the kitchen and you know one of the questions that uh, Ronnie brought up was why is matcha like such a trend and there's a it's funny you know matcha is, is green tea and a lot of people will go towards matcha matcha because it's green tea and because they say it's healthy there, you know there's there's mm-hmm. a there's um, a draw to that um, but there's multiple ways that you can approach matcha um, there's the I mean it's been done in Japan for over 900 years and there's a whole tea ceremony that goes alongside it so some people approach it from you know a zen buddhist aspect and and when they approach it from that aspect maybe they don't look into so much of the health benefits of it so different people approach matcha for different reasons it's definitely a trend yes it's a huge trend it is a huge um, trend I like matcha. Oh, I love yeah. matcha. Yeah. Absolutely. And it is good for you, and it, it works. I think it works far more effective than than coffee. And it's the staff beverage at Aterra. We make three liters of matcha a day for the staff to drink to get them you know, alert and uh, productive through service. Not a bad place to work. No, it's, <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Also, yeah, just even on your website, which which is great, the photos that you're showing behind the scenes and uh, communal table with your uh, with your staff meal and mm-hmm. just even just little peeks at it. Um, I, I enjoyed seeing that. 
Now, before we take a break, I have I have a question from last week on episode 97, Brett Friedman of Agency 21 Consulting. He asked, what's your model and main points of differentiation when he was talking about, like, um, see, well, he's seeing the tea trend. Is it trying to repl- replicate this craze that's happened with coffee? And I feel we might have kind of touched on a bunch of this, but do you have any um, thing to add about? Absolutely. There, there are definitely parallels. I mean, uh, the wording is a little... Uh, tricky because he says trying to replicate, which right? <laughs> almost implies that um, you know, tea importers or sellers are all of a sudden on a bandwagon to sell tea for the sole reason of replicating the success of coffee. Therefore, you know, we're going to be more profitable. Um, but there's some definitely some distinctions to be made, um, particularly about the, the beverage itself. I'd say there's more parallels with. What's happening with tea right now and what happened with wine in the United States in the 60s and 70s and the maturity that uh, America approached wine. And furthermore, I mean, coffee and tea as is, is, uh, distinct beverages, if I made a pour-over for you from, uh, of a coffee from Kenya, one from Guatemala, one from uh, Panama, maybe an Esmeralda, uh, one from Colombia and had put a blindfold on you and asked you to taste them and asked you what you were drinking, you know, the one thing you'd be able to answer is I'm drinking coffee. If I did the same thing with tea, put a blindfold on you and made you a tea from Guangdong province, made you a tea from Japan, made you a tea from Taiwan, and then made you a tea from Sri Lanka, you, I would be hard-pressed to convince you they were all from the same plant. Interesting, yeah. yeah. And you do blind taste tests with your with your staff. I read that. Is that yeah? That's, is that uh, true? Yeah, we <laughs> we've done it. Um, it's pretty fun. You know, a lot of the guys. You know, just we make a lot of tea at Aterra, and you know, oftentimes from getting samples in and you know learning about uh, different teas that you know my, my importers are bringing in. I'll blind taste that with different staff members, and um, ask them. You know, where's it for where it's from? What's the style? And yeah, they get they've gotten a lot better. It's amazing, like the uh, the ability for them to blind taste. It's pretty pretty amazing. Um, yeah. On top of that, you know, we've done uh, you know we did a really beautiful series of classes, Tea Tuesdays, where we invited the front of house and the back of house to come in, and then I would give a course on a particular region or it was a tea style. Maybe we do a horizontal of different. Um, teas from Guangdong Province in the Phoenix Mountains, or we would do a horizontal of um, Darjeeling First Flush, or you know, from different um, producers in Darjeeling, and yeah, it's pretty fun to to host something like that. Yes, and I think I, I, if you haven't already, you should have a hashtag for Tea Tuesdays. You can take over from Taco Tuesdays. <laughs> How about that? We have a sounds new- good. Okay. <laughs> All right, we're going to take another break here, and then we're going to come back and we're going to do my speed round game and talk some industry news. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest is Jeff Ruiz. It is time for my speed round game. What this is is I name a couple of things, and you just pick your preference. They're like either or okay. questions. Okay, so here we go. Eat in or eat out? Mm, eat out. I can't make sushi myself, and I'm 
I can't eat enough sushi. <laughs> I hear you. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Beer. Guess I should have thrown tea in there, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Uh, well, uh, you probably could have guessed beer because I have a, a tendency to like things that have a bitter touch to it. Okay. We'll go with beer. Tasting menu or a la carte? Tasting menu. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Oh, that's funny because we do all-inclusive. But I'm a fan of both. It's it's hard to say. Um, but I prefer myself, even if service is included, to say thank you in the form of tipping the staff. Yes. I hear you on that, too. Okay, how about communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Iced matcha or iced coffee? Iced matcha. Tea pairing or temperance pairing? Oh, tea pairing. You're asking the wrong guy. Well, you I, could bring I, you Nick Dubel on, on, the, on the program and ask him and help. I feel, <laughs> I, I, no, I feel at some point I, I, I need to go back to a, a Tara and do the temperance pairing because I, oh, I, yeah. I was tempted which one to do. I'm, I'm glad I did the tea one, but the temperance, would, which is the non-alcoholic beverages, would be um, interesting, I think, as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the th- really interesting thing about Ronnie is that, you know, you mentioned you don't drink. Yes. Um, he doesn't drink very much at all. Oh, good to um, know. Also unique from a chef. Um, There's a few out there. Yeah, and I, there I, I, I learn on this show, too, others that, that don't drink. And it's nice we have a small community. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's only, you know, it's only natural for him to, you know, have something as ambitious as what we do with the temperance pairing and what we do with the tea pairing. It yeah. just makes sense to have. Because if he were yeah. in, our, in the guest shoes, he would want one of those options. Yeah. No, um, I'm excited you guys do it. Okay, two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. Manhattan or Brooklyn? Mm. Uh, lived in both boroughs. I'm going to go Manhattan because that's where I fell in love with New York. All right. That's a good reason. And that's the game. Excellent. <laughs> so now we talk some industry news. So today came out in the New York Times restaurant review by Pete Wells was of Boulay in Tribeca, your neighbor, mm-hmm. uh, says Boulay in Tribeca still goes its own way seductively. Gave it three stars, which was the same rating that Frank Bruni gave it in 2009. So it holds its status. Um, I had dinner there for the first time, believe it or not, about two years ago for my birthday. And mm-hmm. it was so lovely. It's such a special restaurant. And it's it's. There aren't that many restaurants uh, with the same style and sophistication doing what they're doing hmm. anymore, I think, in general. so Absolutely. Yeah, they are old school. And that's, you know, New York and anywhere you go, whether it's you know, Paris or London, you need that base. Something, someone that does it that hasn't changed. Yes. Because um, all of us are so hungry for change, um, but we need to be reminded and enjoy what is there that's classic yes. and elegant. Yeah, and David Boulay is, I mean, he's very um, experienced and, and, and uh, well-received, I think, as a chef and doesn't go... The article was saying uh, he doesn't really follow trends, and he just does his thing. Mm -hmm. The only thing it noted was on their bread cart that he does have some gluten-free options. But that bread cart in itself uh, is incredible. I think they're – I mean, they wheel that by you. There must be, like, 20 different types of breads. Mm. (laughs) It's an impressive cart. Yeah. The um, – yeah, it's it's really important for there to be chefs that, or just anybody, you know, beverage professional chefs, um, that don't chase trends, and the ones that are most successful are the ones that don't chase trends. Um, it's easy to see on social me- social media, um, you know, a chef, another chef, or another uh, restaurant starting to do something, and then wanting to gravitate towards doing something similar because you think it might be trendy. Um, But in in my experience, um, just following your gut and doing it because you love it is far more important, and that's what he does. Yes, I agree. 
Do you guys have crossover between your guests, or is there any communication? Because you're you're pretty close to each other, location-wise, Atera and Oh, Ule. between us and Yeah, uh, I don't Ule. know. I was just thinking you're both down in Tribeca. You're both fine dining experiences, but very different very different as well. I mean, they have a tasting menu, but it's, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's three or six courses, and it's uh, its just a different style restaurant. It's a, it's a different game. Um, for guests that come into Aterra, they usually, uh, their inclination isn't to mention Bully, because there's not a comparison, because it, it is so mm-hmm. distinctly different. So even if there is crossover, I guess, we don't really hear it. We hear more... A comparison to, you know, Brooklyn Fair, or you know, we hear comparisons to Eleven Madison Park, or per se. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That I could see that. So okay. Well, congratulations to them. It was a good review. Oh yeah, it yeah. was beautiful. Okay. The other article I have was on Grub Street. Inside the Collapse of Fairway, New York's favorite failing grocery store, by Hannah Howard, and. This was interesting because Hannah apparently worked at Fairway, so it was an insider's Mm -hmm. look at what was happening with them. And, I mean, this doesn't sound good. Uh, You know, Fairway initially opened in 1933, its Upper West Side location, and it was a pioneer in very rare ingredients that have become a little more commonplace now. But um, it's talking about that they rapidly expanded, uh, I think, around 2011, and now they have 15 locations. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, she, I don't know, it was just they're, they're not doing so well. And they're, um, I don't know, I was a little sad. I was sad reading this, but um, what, I, what are your thoughts? I read it. I was pretty sad, too. And Fairway was one of those places I came to. It was like this amazing grocery store when I moved to to New York for the first time. I went there. I was like, "Oh my god, this place is it's mm-hmm. got everything." And it's a little insane with yeah. the crowds as well. Yeah, you know, going there, you know, walking past it on the Upper West Side, you know, it's a it's a scene. It's pretty amazing. Um, but reading the article, um, something I gleaned from it was obviously the exp- expansion. But what set them apart before was their specialization. And different products, and I can only—it just—it seems logical that you can't specialize and expand at that rate at the same time and expect to do it at a very high level. Yeah. Well, it seems because I mean I mentioned I remember reading that you know it was hard to get people that were trained properly in the new locations. Yeah, training yeah. and having the leadership is something it noted as mm-hmm. well. Uh, I think they, you know, I think it's hard when you're used to running one place. I mean, they had a very slow expansion at the beginning. Mm -hmm. It said they, you know, they first opened the place up in Harlem, and then Mm -hmm. it was like another six years later, they opened in Red Hook, and Mm -hmm. they were slow at at expanding, and um, then they rapidly did it. And I think, yeah, I think that's hard to get the right staffing and know the markets even that you're going in. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think the brand the brand is strong. I mean, yeah, if you live in New York or even you don't, you know Fairway. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and it's packed. I mean, whenever mm-hmm. I go to the one, I, I only know the one on the Upper East Side and the Upper West Side. And whenever I go, it's packed. Uh, yeah. So I, reading, the, I was actually surprised when I read this that they, you know, when they expanded, the other locations weren't doing very well. Yeah. This is the first article I saw on it, too. And it's a good read. I I mean, they were talking also how they went public and, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, you and know. The private equity, yeah. private equity came in and started investing in it. So, I don't know. At the end, it said, the insiders say the only way is to restructure and close some locations. I mean, I don't know if they're going to do that or, you know, we'll see. I But, um, yeah, Fairway's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I love them. No, it's not. It's not my local grocery store right now. But you know, if I could make it my local yeah. grocery store, it would be my first choice. Yeah, it's not. I'm not too. I don't live too far from there. But um, it's not. Uh, I don't know. I I I'm. I go to Columbus Circle and uh, Whole Foods is mm-hmm. is closer to me, and I don't tend to go uptown. But I think the key to going to to Fairway is going at an off hour because anytime mm-hmm. I've I have gone, it's. It's busy, and yeah. you kind of got to know your way around. Oh to yeah, and to get say what that you want. you'd 
prefer to go to Whole Foods, which is also insane. Yes, but it's, I know I yeah. know it now. I have my I have yeah, you're right. It is, but my my plan on that is I try to go in off hours. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean when That's I strategy. <laughs> it is. I have a strategy yeah, because when I know. don't do the strategy and I end up there, you know, at six o'clock on a Sunday, yeah. it's a it's a bad call. <laughs> <laughs> So, and that's also another thing they point in the article that, uh, you know, Whole Foods and, and uh, Trader Joe's and there is more competition out there. Yeah. They, you know, they mentioned that it was easier for smaller, even little bodegas to get yeah. these small little, you know, specialty ingredients that right. you used to only be able to get a fair way. Yeah. So, okay. Well, wish them the best. Absolutely. And uh, we take one more break and we come back and do my solo dining experience. It's all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience, which this week is at Pau de... Not Pau de... Pau by Paul Key. Here's the rundown. The location, 3201 Collins Avenue at the Fena Hotel in Miami Beach, Florida. The concept, it's a chic hotel eatery with ocean views, ritzy decor, and modern Asian cuisine. The chef is Paul Key. He's a Filipino chef who's known for his restaurant Key in Austin, Texas, as well as Eastside King Food Trucks. And he's also going to be opening Otoko Sushi Counter. He's a busy guy. Now, why did I go? Well, I was down in Miami for South Beach Wine and Food Festival, and Paul is an acclaimed young chef who I've met briefly at events. My experience... So I took a seat at the bar. I chatted up with the friendly bartenders who helped me decide what to order. At one point, Paul was standing by the bar in the dining room, and I was able to say hello. It was a beautiful and comfortable setting. What did I get? I had the Toro Binchotan, grilled greens, and peanut gazpacho. The latter two were very highly recommended by my bartender duo. My take, the grilled toro seared on white charcoal was lovely, and the grilled greens, which came while I was still enjoying the toro, tasted like a burger, literally. Now, this threw me off at first, but then it grew on me, and the more I ate, the more I appreciated its originality and unique flavor profile. I'm thinking, do a tea pairing with that. (laughs) There was, yeah, there was also a a peanut soup, which uh, was kindly sent out to me from the bartenders. It was very rich, creamy, and delicious. The scene was friends and daters, the perfect for an intimate dinner. Interesting tidbit, Paul Key has received many accolades. He's won a James Beard Award, Best New Chef by Food and Wine, Esquire Chef of the Year, and he is a winner, the winner of Top Chef Season 9. Not too shabby. Personal fun fact, when I arrived at the hotel, I checked out the Alinea pop-up happening on the other side of the hotel. It was fun to see their dining room in action and see Gary Obligation, the director of operations for Alinea, who I know, and he kindly escorted me over to POW. The cost was $55, including tax and an 18% service charge. Would I go back? Yes. Their website is fena.com. Yeah, it's interesting they're doing this pop-up down there, mm. Alinea. Probably maybe get compared to them, too. <laughs> uh, you didn't have a chance to uh, I didn't I didn't uh, I didn't get to dine there but um as I looked in the dining room I saw the I've eaten at Alinea in Chicago and I mm-hmm. saw the balloon they have that as one of their things yeah. so I saw that in the room so I think they're doing some of their similar tricks Awesome awesome 
Okay, so it's time for the final question. So next week, my guests are Catherine Sheldon and Lauren Scala, producer and host of New York Live on NBC. So, Jeff, can you ask them a question? Yeah. Where is their favorite place in the city to get a cup of tea? Ah. No, it's a great question. Uh, whether it's a restaurant or a tea shop or, you know, maybe they're doing, a, you know, like a high tea service or something along those lines. Um, yeah. It's great because they cover, they cover New York City really well and yeah. they get introduced to the best of the best. So. Yeah. I'd be interested in, to hear if they, you know, if they mentioned one of the, you know, the places doing, you know, matcha, exclusively matcha, or if they mentioned, you know, you know something like Tea Company. Yeah. I'm predicting one of them has a favorite matcha bar. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. It'll be fun. Okay, great. So that is the show. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad I got to meet you. I'm so glad I got to do your tea pairing. It really blew my mind. Absolutely. Hope to do it for you again. Oh, I hope so. I look forward. So my guest today has been Jeff Ruiz. He's he's the tea curator at Atera. Their website is ateranyc.com and on social media at ateranyc. My social media at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry, and my websites are BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. Okay, a little announcement. So tomorrow I'm heading down to Charleston Wine and Food Festival. So is the Heritage Radio Network team. Heritage Radio is doing a live broadcast on Friday and Saturday from 12 to 5. Y'all should check it out. And on Saturday at 3.15, I'm going to do a very short segment. I'm going to have Laura Kate Whitney, who's the Marketing and Communications Director for the Charleston Festival. Uh, I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do something at that time. And uh, my PR friends from Bolster Media are also going to join us. So it will be a on-the-road segment of all in the industry of some sort. So please tune in. And uh, I'll be back next Wednesday then for another live show. So um, thanks again to Jeff and thanks to my engineer, David. And thank you all for being a part of All in the Industry. Bye. For listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.